A reading from the fifth chapter of the Gospel according to Mark, beginning with the 21st verse. When Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered around him, and he was by the sea. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came up, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet and begged him repeatedly, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. So he went with him. And a large crowd followed him and pressed in on him. Now there was a woman who had been suffering from hemorrhages for twelve years. She had endured much under many physicians, and had spent all that she had, and she was no better, but rather she grew worse. She had heard about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. For she said, if I but touch his clothes, I will be made well. Immediately her hemorrhage stopped and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Immediately aware that power had gone out from him, Jesus turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing in on you. How can you say who touched me? He looked all around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling, fell down before him and told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, some people came from the leader's house to say, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the leader of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. He allowed no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the house of the leader of the synagogue, he saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. When he had entered, he said to them, Why do you make a commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. Then he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means, little girl, get up. And immediately the girl got up and began to walk about. She was 12 years of age. At this, they were overcome with amazement. He strictly ordered them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. The Word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Sherry, is Tina okay? Okay. Tina Millward appears to be having a, a spell. Let's pray for Tina real quick before we preach. 
Father, we love Tina and know that she loves you. And so we ask you to look upon her with mercy and stabilize her body and bring her to peace. We ask it in Jesus' holy name. Amen. As we started, there was a picture on the wall that said, this is your sign if you've been waiting on it. Now there's something different. Oh, no, see? Good timing. I've heard many people say, if I had some kind of sign, I could do something. You ever heard anybody say that? If I just had a sign, I could take a risk. Do something I've always wanted to do. Do something I hope to do. Love someone I wanted to love. I could really live if I just had a sign, Clyde. I'd be free to do something and make a difference in the world. If I just had a sign. Sign that the day would be good. Don't you like signs that you're about to have a good day? Do you ever have those? Some of you are nodding yes. You ever had a sign that you were going to have a bad day? <laughs> Sometimes it seems we know more, but I want to share some of those with you. You want to hear some? Here are some signs that you are about to have a bad day. The first one would be if, if the new preacher shows up with 40 pages of a manuscript. I heard somebody say one time, there's a fine line between a sermon and a hostage situation. You ever heard that? I think it's somewhere about the 25-minute mark. Some people say that about appointments, that there's a fine line between a long appointment and a kidnapping. But here are some signs that you're about to have a bad day. You turn on the evening news and they're showing all the emergency routes out of the, your hometown, out of your city. That's a bad day, right? Some people would say when that weather guy from the Weather Channel shows up at your local beach. Here's another sign you're about to have a bad day. Your four-year-old tells you it's almost impossible to flush a grapefruit down the toilet. <laughs> For us, it's when the dog is quiet, the sneaky white one. If you don't go see what he's doing, something's getting torn up. You have to sit down to brush your teeth in the morning. That's a sign of a bad day. The bird singing outside your window is a vulture. Some of us call them buzzards. Here in York County, it's a buzzard, and we drink out of hose pipes. Can I get an amen? What's a, what is a garden hose? Your income's tax refund check bounces. <laughs> this one's good. Here's another sign you're going to have a bad day. You call your wife and tell her you would like to eat out tonight. When you get home, there's a brown bag on the front porch with a sandwich in it. You receive a 150-page instruction booklet on how to save money from the electric company. Yeah. yeah. Your mother approves of the person you're dating. That's a sign you're going to have a bad day, somebody told me. A list I read on the internet. Your kids start treating you the same way you treated your parents. Ooh. All those parents who told me, I feel like my kids are parenting me. Well, you parented your parents, so now it's your turn. Signs you're going to have a bad day. We know what those look like, don't we? We know what those look like. 
There are all those anticipation moments for days like this when we know that change is coming. The old pastor is being moved by the bishop and a new pastor is being sent. And, you know, we anticipate the change. We anticipate the goodbye. And it feels like, gosh, it's going to be a hard day. But you know what it shows us is that the Holy Spirit is still at work in our church. People are still being sent and received in ministry. People's lives are still being changed. Good things are piling up in the kingdom of God. But we anticipate every change with reluctance because we know there will be laws. And sometimes those are signs that, wow, this is going to be a hard day, but it doesn't have to be. Every time we face some new thing that might hurt, some new experience where we might lose something, Dear ones, it's also a moment when the risen Jesus might raise something from the dead in us. Those are also the moments when God might move in us and help us to truly live. Sometimes we need a good swift kick in the pants to move on, don't we? Sometimes we need to be reminded that the situation we're in isn't necessarily how God wants us to live on. Sometimes we need a moment to hear other voices and God say to us, that job's not right for you. That relationship isn't right for you. Or whatever the case might be. Today we see two people's lives get suddenly and rapidly and wonderfully changed. Well, not rapidly, but you get the point. And parents receive their daughter back. What a profound thing. Loss is difficult. There's no way around that. To lose someone that we care about or to lose a congregation that we care about or parents or children that we care about, to have a relationship affected by the circumstances of our lives that are outside our control hurts. And that's just the plain truth. But I want to tell you that it's a good thing. A woman anointed Jesus' feet one day and somebody got angry about it. And Jesus asked him, he said, who loves more, the one who's forgiven a little or the one who's forgiven a lot? And he said, well, the one who's forgiven a lot. And he said, then I won't tell her to stop. Basically, Jesus said that she had been loving him since he walked in the door. By serving Him. Jesus, our Lord, knew that loss brings hurt. But He also knew that God's plan is to make all things new. There is no hurt. There is no sin. There is no death. There is no loss that the eternal God of Father, Son, and Spirit cannot make to be good for us. Period. The resurrection of a Jesus assures us that that is true. There was a man named Rene Descartes. He kind of founded the school of philosophy that some people call deconstruction. To deconstruct things that we take for granted or, or things that we think are correct. 
And he said this thing about existence. He said, I think, therefore I am. You ever heard that before? That the fact that we think means that we actually exist. I want to tell you something today, church. You weren't created just to exist. God created you so that you could flourish and know and love God with your whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. You weren't created to muddle through this life. You weren't created to do nothing. You weren't created to take your breath for granted. You were created to be light in a world that needs light. You were created to be a signpost of the love of God. You, the church. You were created through the suffering, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus who gave us baptism. To bring about a new family of God. A people who are transformed at the very core of their hearts so that they love God and love their neighbor and they can come shout to the world that this little girl that lays on that bed in Jairus' house is truly just asleep. That one day she will awaken. And that day for her was the day that Jesus stepped into her room. And the same is true for us. No matter what kind of loss or death or hurt we might go through, Jesus is coming to our room. The provenient grace of God goes before us in all things. There is no hurt that you will ever experience that you will be alone in. There is no dissatisfaction with life that you will ever experience that God will abandon you in the midst of it. No, God will see you through. We've all known those kinds of losses. I have experienced the loss of a child twice, personally. The first time was when we were told we would not conceive on our own. And that little booger-eating virus hopper that Samantha and I had dreamed of having together wasn't going to happen. Unless some miracle happened and we would start a new religion. That, but that didn't happen. The second time was when we went to Lexington Medical Center to adopt a boy that we had been hoping to adopt for quite a while. And we knew that day was going to go bad when we kept being ushered out of the room and put in a little holding area. That was a sign that things were about to go bad and we were not going to have a good day. But I tell you right now, God did something. God showed up and gave a little girl a home and redeemed our hurt. Redeemed our hurt for the sake of my child. Do you hear that? That's what's happening in this story. Jesus walked in and redeemed the hurt that fills the world. The vulture that sings outside our window and says there's nothing in this life for you but sin and death and hurt and pain and loss and grief and uncaring and cynicism and lack of hope. But Jesus walks into that room and says, I'm here. Life walks into your life. 
and takes you by the hand and says, get up and live. You do not have to lay around through your whole life and watch somebody else live it. You don't have to lay around and feel dead. You don't have to lay around and feel vanquished to misery. The risen Christ is with you. Oh, touch His garment and be healed. Reach out in faith. You have absolutely nothing to lose by grabbing a hold of His cloak. But oh, dear ones, you have so much to gain. For you gain the promise that no matter what, there's a God who walks into your life to take your hand and lift you up. No matter what. No matter what may come, Jesus will still be here lifting you up. No matter what may come, Jesus will be in the midst of your relationships seeking to reconcile them. No matter what, the risen Christ will come to bring healing. I noted, I jotted something down in my notes I wanted to share with you. It says this, A pastor's job is to point to the one who suffered, died, and was raised for you. To the one who can raise you from death. The one who can deliver you from simply existing. Rene Descartes may have been right. It may be our thoughts that prove to us that we exist. But he was wrong that about this life having to be lived in cynicism and deconstructive hate. Hate of all the goodness that's in the world. The risen Christ is at work and the greatest promise in all of Scripture is the one on the throne saying, Behold, I make all things new. All things includes us. It includes you. It includes this congregation. It includes my ministry. It includes everything that I am and everything that I hope to be. And everything that you hope to be. And the greatest thing that you can hope for, dear ones, is to be fully alive. And the only way that you can be fully alive is to touch His cloak. To take the hand that's offered to you and let Him pull you out of meager existence. For some reason, the people of Israel understood God to be a shepherd for them. Probably because they were busy raising sheep and being in the fields. Probably because it's how they saw God's abundance. And God had promised that God would send one who would be a good shepherd to lead the people into all those wonderful things that are promised in Psalm 23. 
And when Jesus came, he talked of himself as being that good shepherd. And right after he told the people before him that he was the gate to the sheepfold of God, the gate to the kingdom, he told them something about the devil, the Hasatan, the Satan, our accuser, the one who would convince us that there's nothing more for us than laying around and doing nothing and being miserable and feeling sorry for ourselves or hating what our neighbor has or hating our neighbor because they have what we don't. The devil would try to convince us that there's nothing in life for us that's good unless we're beating somebody else down. That we can't feel good unless we're better than somebody else, look better than somebody else, have more than somebody else, are more holy than somebody else, don't sin the way somebody else is sinning. And so we scratch and claw and scratch and claw and compare ourselves to others to try to convince ourselves that we're alive by doing so when all that we are doing is creating more death for ourselves. And forgetting that our dignity is not in what we have, but who we know. The risen Lord. And so Jesus tells them, I am the gate to the sheep pen, sheep pen, the sheepfold of God. And he says, the devil, that one who whispers in your ear that you're worthless and that no one loves you. The one who would try to convince you that there's nothing for you but to lay on your deathbed and get it over. The one who would say, that little girl can't get up. She's dead, Jesus. We're going to laugh at you now. We've been mourning and singing death songs for four hours. She ain't getting up. Are you kidding? But what did Jesus do? He got her up. And the devil would try to tell you that Jesus can't get you up, but he can. If he can get her up, if he can get me up, he can get you up. Anybody want to raise your hand and admit Jesus got you up out of something? Anybody brave today? That's a witness. Jesus is at work in the people around you. That means Jesus can be at work in you. And listen to what he says. He said, that thief is a liar. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. To keep you on a deathbed. He said, oh, but I, I come that you may have life. I come that you may have life. And you know what? Have it to an abundance you can't imagine. To have life more abundantly. Now I don't care what all the mega preachers are preaching. Jesus ain't talking about having a Cadillac or a nice house or having money or anything like that. He's talking about people having love in their relationships with God and their neighbors. That that is what gives us life. Today, this very day, the risen Christ is offering you new life in Him. The Holy Spirit has drawn you here to this place to make a confession and be raised from your deathbed. To be lifted up and be given new life. You may think I'm perfectly happy. I got everything I want, but dear ones, if you don't truly have a relationship with Jesus, you are missing the only thing that matters. And the only thing that will ever fill the hurts that are in your heart. So one last time together, we're going to affirm our faith. And if you have never meant these words when you said them, Oh, dear one, please, 
Imagine by, by saying them, you are taking the hand of Jesus and being lifted from that deathbed. Your new life starts today. Will you stand and let us profess our faith?